Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Well, Pastor Tony's asked me to bring the word today and um, I'm, I'm very excited to do that and honoured to do that. And I just want to share something today with you. Um, I don't think it's theological. It's like a foundation of my life. It's a go-to thing that I understand. And um, I just would wonder if we ask this question just uh, generally to people, what is God like? We'd come up with a lot of different kinds of answers. There'd be the weird, there might be the wonderful, and there'd be some other things that are in between that. So... What I really want to talk today is this, answer this question and find out what this is. What is God really like? What is he really like? I'm sure we'd like to know that because people have a lot of strange ideas. Uh, You know, there's people that don't even believe in God. They're called atheists. You can see Mitch over there. He moves in this area. uh, Do you know there's no such thing as a dead atheist? Because they can tell God when they stand before him that he doesn't exist. So then they'll know, won't they? So there's no such thing as a dead atheist. Amen. So if we want to know what God is really like, we should actually get the information from the book that God gave us, his record, dealing with mankind, talking about the past, the present and the future even starting with Genesis, how the world came into being, that God created everything that is and, is and was and is to come. So um, have you ever heard of this saying, um, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away? Anybody heard that? You ever heard it at a child dedication? Heard it at an engagement party? At a wedding? Have it. Have you heard it at a 30-year anniversary for a wedding anniversary? Where, where do you think you might have heard it? At a funeral. It used to start, re- start really big and of course the, uh, the younger ones wouldn't remember the Western movies they had in the 60s and 70s but for John Wayne or whatever they'd always be around the boot, boot heel where it's buried everybody the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And it always had a negative con- context to do with taking away and death and so forth. Now that actually, that quote is taken from the book of Job. Did you know that? But God never said that. Job said that. And he was under attack and the Lord was giving and blessing Job. It says that in the text. But God wasn't the one taking away from him, it was Satan. And you can just read that here in the the text. And if you don't believe me, you can ask Pastor Tony because he's got five teachings about Job. So if you don't agree with this, go and see Pastor Tony and he'll sort you out. Is that all right? Okay. So don't give me any grief. Go and talk to Pastor Tony. That's throwing your pastor under the bus. Okay. In 2 Timothy... Now, what I want to explain today, it's more of a concept. It's more of a concept. And for me, as a much younger minister, uh, this understanding came to me gradually, but... um, to me, the Bible was a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. We saw up on that thing where there was a jigsaw puzzle. And I think I had the information, not that I know everything about God, and I don't know all, all the mysteries about God, 
And no, I don't know about in Ezekiel the wheel within a wheel. I don't know. And you know what? I don't care. Unless God wants to reveal that to me. But I had the pieces of information, but until you get all the puzzle, the pieces of the puzzle in the correct places, you can't see the full picture. Isn't that right? So I had the pieces, but I didn't have the full picture. And when this, this understanding came to me, uh, man, this is my go-to. This is the foundation of who I am, what I believe. Everything that I believe sits on top of this understanding. And I'm going to try and impart that to you today. Some of you will know this, and some of you will you get some information that will be helpful to you. Because this information about how God really is can save your life. It saved my life on several occasions. I mean, literally from death. So are you interested? So do you really want to know what God is really like? Okay. Well, we're going to go to the scriptures and see what God is really like. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now you know what I learned from this straight away, if you can rightly divide something, guess what you can do? What would be the flip side of that? What is it? Wrongly divide. And who knows if you get something wrong, you're usually in a pickle or in trouble. True? Also in the Greek here where it says rightly divide, it actually means to cut straight. If you're making something and it's got to be straight and it's crooked, guess what? That's not going to work out for you. It means to cut straight. And if it's crooked, that can affect your belief system, what you believe about God, and that could be very harmful to you. Because we're truly trying to find out what is God really like. What you believe about God, what you perceive about God, will directly impact your life and the life of others around you. How you relate to God and how you relate to other people. And that has an outworking which I want to talk about this in a little while. So using the Bible you can get yourself into a real muddle if you don't interpret the information correctly. So, the Bible is a progressive revelation. There's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament. Guess what, which is the latest version? The New Testament. So the Old Testament contains the New Testament, but the New Testament explains the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament there were types, there were shadows and symbolism. And sometimes when you're looking at a shadow, you don't really get the full picture. Saying in the first service, I could be looking somewhere and I think somebody's coming around, I could only see this shadow projected on a wall and it looks like somebody coming in a hurry, it looks like somebody that's got a hunchback and they've got a, a rifle with them. But when they come around the corner, I see it's a man with a staff for walking and he's got a backpack on. 
It's quite different to what I saw in the shadow. Amen? So that's how the Old Testament can be. And I find that in the... You know, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything. It tells about people's problems and talks about things, warts and all. So I find in the Old Testament you find you have the good, the bad and the ugly. That would be a good title for a movie, actually. The good, the bad and the ugly. Who knows, in 1 John chapter 4, 8, it says, God is love. God doesn't have love, he is love. Amen? And he expressed that love to mankind when he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, there's a quite a, one of these unusual stories in the Old Testament. And uh, there was a guy that was actually... Uh, picking up some sticks. I'll, I'll just read it to you in Numbers 15, verses 32 to 36. In Numbers 15, 32 to 36. Now, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not yet been, been explained what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, This man must surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp, and they stoned him with stones, and he died. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Don't you think so? A little bit harsh. I mean, for crying out loud, he's just trying to make some dinner. Had to give a fire. And we just said that God is love. So what's going on here? Well, I got myself into trouble. Can you bail me out, Pastor Tony? I'm in a pickle. No, I'm not. No, I'm not in a pickle. No. The way that I understand how God revealed this to me, we need to understand his plan his purpose and his ways. You think, well, we can't know everything about God. Of course you can't, but we can know what he has revealed to us. It's plain for there for anybody to see in the scriptures. Amen? And so this is a kind of a revelation to me that, that I think that is really good. It's good for me. And the way I can explain... Now, oh, sorry, two, two weeks ago, Pastor Tony did a message on who do and how do we... Represent. How do we rep who do we how do we represent? Yeah, that's right. And Pastor Tony had a chart there. And it had a period of seven thousand years, but I just want to talk about the three lots of two thousand years, which equals six thousand years. And uh, if you want to refer back to that, you can. Okay. And so these three two thousand year periods, we've got two thousand years from where God starts to deal with man made Adam up to the point of the law. So we've got pre law. And that was often referred to the a time of um, conscience. So we've got pre, pre-law, which is 2,000 years. Then we have the period where they, God introduces the Mosaic law and that runs for about 2,000 years. This is give or take, right? And then we have the church age starting when Jesus comes and that runs for, well, we're up to 2021. So give or take a few years either way. Is that all right? Three lots of 2,000 years, Okay. We're in the age of grace, we're in the church age, which is very good, by the way. We're under um, mercy and grace. 
Okay. So these three stages are a progressive revelation and the different ways that God was dealing with his creation to bring his plan to pass. Amen? So, who knows that Adam committed high treason and sold out to the arch enemy of God in the book of Genesis, in uh, Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2 and so forth, and he committed high treason and that, that act of treason sold us out to the enemy of God and plunged all mankind into sin and we were then all separated from the life of God. But wait, God had a plan. Aren't you glad God had a plan? Okay, God knows the end from the beginning. And so he decided he was going to put his plan into action. Now sin is like a big festering sore that spreads. Just metastatized. What is it? Forget that. It spreads. It spreads. And so if you put a bad apple in a box of good apples, what happens? Of course, the good apples make the bad apple good again, right? No. The bad apple corrupts all the other apples, doesn't it? And that's what sin does. That's what sin does. It creeps around and it spreads to everybody. So God had a plan and he prophesied his purpose that he would send a deliverer to redeem man back to himself through the seed of a woman. And in Genesis 3 verse 15, and God is prophesying this to actually Satan, and he says, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This reference is the first reference of a deliverer. It's the first messianic prophecy in the Bible. And this expression of seed of woman is a reference to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. So you're with me all so far? Okay, that's good. So when God says something, he shall surely bring it to pass. Nothing can stop the ultimate plan and purpose of God. So man, after the fall of man, sin was unleashed on the earth, in the earth, and man was on a downward death spiral. And in Genesis chapter 4, we have the first murder recorded in the Bible, and we see the first murderer. Who knows that Cain killed Abel? You know that? Well, Cain, after he killed Abel, I think he was um, a bit fearful that people would find this out, and they would try and kill him. Because... That's not good. Killing people's not good. And so he, he talked to God about it and God said, look, I'm going to put a mark of protection on you. Instead of God dropping the hammer on him and being punishment, God actually put a mark of protection on him and he said, look, if anybody kills you, they'll be a, you'll be avenged sevenfold. Okay, so God extended mercy. So there was mercy, a bit of mercy going on here. Isn't that good? I'm glad God gives me mercy. How about you? So, in uh, six generations later, so this was um, Cain's direct descendant. It's his great, great, great grandson. <coughs> his name's Lamech. And the story's in uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. He has two wives, 
And he goes to them, he said, um, listen to my speech. He said, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So what's he doing? He's saying, my great-great-grandfather, he was a bad dude, not like me. I killed someone in self-defence. I don't, just didn't kill somebody in cold-blooded murder. I'm all right. So what we've got happening here is st- sin is starting to spread and people start to compare their actions to other people. Like somebody could say, I'm better than that person. That person, they tell filthy, black, dirty lies. I only tell the little white cutie ones. And people started to compare sins. So sin was starting to go rampant on the earth. Amen? I'm not as bad as you. I only smoke when I'm at the pub. You smoke all the time. And smoking's not a sin, by the way. It's not a sin. No. Might smell like you've been to hell or something, but it's all right. God loves you. Amen? You can give that up. God will help you with that. Amen. Hallelujah. So people started comparing their actions with each other. So God had already said that there was going to be a a saviour, a messiah that would become born by the seed of the woman. Now if God didn't curb the rate of sin and sin gets so rampant, and it did, there might not have even been a virgin alive for the Messiah to be born. That would be a problem, right? Because we, if that didn't happen, we'd be all lost today. So to curb the rate of sin and the spread of sin, God does something after this 2,000 years. And he did try to curb the rate of sin. He had Noah's flood. And then he started again with eight people and man, because man is rotten to the core because of this sin nature on the inside of him. Corruption comes again and sin is spreading. And so eventually God, after about 2,000 years, he introduces the law. The law. So, why does God introduce the law? What was the purpose of the law? Well, it tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Now, here's the, here's the answer to this. Why the, what's the purpose of the law? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the Lord show, law showed us what sin is and also showed us God's standard of pure, pure holiness and righteousness and man, man could not attain to the, the, um, all the requirements of the law. Therefore God introduced the law to curb the rate of sin so uh, uh, there'd be some, at least some virgins around for the Messiah to be born. Well, not virgins, there was one in particular. Here's another thing about the law. In verse, Romans chapter 4, verse 15, it says, this is a downside of it, another thing about the law is that the law brings wrath. Is that good or bad? Is wrath good or bad? They say, I think I'm going to get up this morning, I feel like some wrath today. 
few lightning bolts coming out of the clouds to wake me up. So God introduces the law to show what sin is, then the law brings about wrath. Amen? And when there's no law, there's no transgression. We, we um, pioneered, and per- per- uh, pioneered and pastored church in Alice Springs back in the 80s, and when we lived there, there was only a speed limit around just the, uh, the actual township. So when you got out, out of the, you know, it was the end of 60 or whatever, you could go as fast as you like. So the police couldn't pull you over and give you a ticket if you're doing 90 kilometres an hour or 150 kilometres an hour because there was no law, it was just a law around the township. Do you think I took advantage of that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But you had to obey the law in town because when there's the law, see, there's punishment or there's wrath. The, the police will give you a ticket. Amen? So this is what happened to the guy picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Remember that guy? He wasn't allowed to do that on the Sabbath. So guess what? God said, make an example of him, take him out of the city and stone him because the law was bringing wrath and curbing the rate of sin and spreading on the earth. Everybody with me so far? All right, you can get down off your seats. I know it's exciting. So the law that God introduced is not the plan, it's the pathway to the plan. It's to bring forth the Redeemer, Jesus, amen? And the law was to show mankind how sinful they were and their need for a saviour. Now, there's another story here I want to tell you in this period of the law. Um, Anybody heard of Jezebel? Who has heard of Jezebel? Good or bad? Sure. She, her husband was called Ahab. Good or bad? Bad. Anyway, they had a son. They died. And um, they had a son that came to reign after them and his name was, if I can say it, Ahaziah, I think it was. Anyway, he was wicked just like his parents. And when he was living in his castle, he fell through some lattice and damaged himself and he was, you know, in a bad way. He was wounded. And uh, so what he decided, he said, thought he'd uh, uh, send some servants to go and inquire from the god of Akron to see if he was going to live or he's going to die from his injuries. But as the servants are going there, God speaks to Elijah to go and intercept these servants and tell the, go back and tell the king he's not going to live, he's going to die. Okay? So the king says, well, I think I want to talk to Elijah. So he sent out a guy, one captain and 50 men to go and bring Elijah back because he wants to talk to him. And Elijah was sitting up on a hill and this captain rides up with his 50 men and uh, he said, Elijah, come down here. The king wants to see you. I'm paraphrasing this. This is by in the way, <laughs> paraphrasing it. This is in um, 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 9 to 15. Anyway, And Elijah says, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Kaboom. Barbecue. So when they didn't come back, the king says, I don't know what's happened to those guys. Hard to get good staff these days. So he sent out another captain and another 50 men. And they ride up and they find Elijah they see a lot of sort of toasty bits around on the ground. Hmm, what could that be? Elijah, come down here. 
Elijah says, if I be a man of God, he said, let fire come down to heaven and consume you and your 50. Fire falls. Barbecue. They, when they didn't come back, the king, king says, you know what? I know what's happened to these guys. I'll have to send out another captain of 50. So they send out another captain of 50 and this guy, he was smart, this captain. Oh yes, he knows about barbecue and he could smell a barbecue long before he got there. And he approaches Elijah quite cautiously and said, let my life be precious to me and these 50 men, please, pretty please calm down. And the Lord says to Elijah, yeah, it's okay, go with these guys. So he goes to the king and he says, guess what? Yeah, no, you're not going to come out of your bed, you're going to die. So what has that got to do with anything? I have no idea. Somebody's flavour of my notes. Put that in there. See, in the Old Testament, you've got the good, the bad, and the ugly. Do you know what? This story turns up in the New Testament with the disciples and Jesus for crying out loud. How bizarre is that? Let's go and have a look at that. In Luke chapter 9, this is where the story is, from about verses 51 to 53. I'll read from verse 51. I don't think it's on the screen. But anyway, now it came to pass when the time had come for him, Jesus, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. They set messages before his face and that when they went in and entered the village of the Samaritans to prepare a place for him because they were trying to get some accommodation for the night. Let's start. So verse 53 says, But when they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem and when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven? and consume them, as Elijah did. Let's have a barbecue. People just love Barbies, don't they? Depends what, what's getting barbecued, by the way. And you know what? Jesus turned around, he rebuked them. Because you know what? If we don't understand how to interpret things properly, filter things through the grace and through the Lord Jesus Christ and bring things into the new covenant established on better promises, we're going to get all muddled up. He rebuked them and he said to them in verse 55, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. The Son of Man did not come to destroy man's life but to save them. And they went to another village. Anybody know what John 3.16 says? What does it say? Come on, we say it on the count of three. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth of him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. But what's verse 17 say? Hmm. Can we put that up? John 3 verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, it might be a good idea. 
go to Bible college because one of the courses for this term is Bible interpretation. Good plug there. Amen? There's a difference between the pathway, God's pathway, and the actual destination. The destination is the purpose itself. The purpose is the main thing and you can focus on the journey instead of the destination or purpose and the real purpose of God was to bring Jesus into the earth to redeem mankind. Amen? So let's just recap. Man fell in the garden. He sinned. Sin spreading everywhere, it's rampant. So God, to stop the spread of sin, he introduces the law. But one problem about the law is, guess what? The law brings about wrath. We saw that in Romans chapter 3. Amen? And also it says in 2 Corinthians 3 verses 7 and 9 that the law was a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation. And one thing about the law, God did not make the law for a pathway to God. It was to show us we could not meet God's standards. It's meant to frustrate us so we throw our hands on the head. Oh God, I can't do this. I need a saviour. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. Hallelujah. And he's our saviour. If we believe and trust in him, we get everything that he provided through and for us. Amen. Oh, I think it's awesome. But... Here's another thing I want to look at. How long was the law given? Well, it says in Galatians 3, verse 19, what does the law, what's the purpose of the law? What does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come. This is talking about the seed that was going to come through the seed of woman. It's talking about Jesus. Verse 16 says, Jesus is the seed. So the law was given until Jesus came. Now you can imagine the, the um, I don't know, the, uh, the Jews or the Israelites or whatever, they saw all this judgment going on and, and the guy got killed for picking up sticks on the Sabbath and then Jesus comes on the scene because we're starting the, the last 2,000 years up to now. And he starts talking about a heavenly father. Because he's going to actually fulfill the law and usher us into the age of grace or the church age. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. No wonder they looked at him quite strangely. They didn't quite get his tilt, tilt. And the poor old disciples, they're wanting to call, have a barbecue when it's not necessary, and burn up all the Samarit um, yeah, Samaritans. Because if we don't understand the purpose of God, we're going to get ourselves in a muddle. So now that I've said this, this is my introduction. I've had to do all this to introduce this. So what is God really like? I haven't forgotten where I'm at, by the way. That's why I've got some notes. What is God really like? 
Well, we're getting to the good part now. Remember the Old Testament had type shadow symbolism, but now God's going to reveal his true self. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Oh, thank you. Thank you, God, for your great plan of redemption for mankind. It says, God, who at various times, in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, once when he had he by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand on the majesty on high. That's really rich. God is revealing his true self, and where it says here, and the express image of his person, God is exactly the same as the Father in every possible way. He's an exact representation, Jesus is. What is God really like? Look at Jesus. And you know what? People just have such a skewed idea about God because they're getting their information from the Old Testament, which could be true and accurate, but they're not filtering it through the Saviour and God's true intent. As soon as there was a problem and a fall in the garden, God introduced and said that he had a plan and his intention was to send a redeemer, to send a saviour, to redeem all of mankind. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Father, for your great plan. God, Jesus, is the exact perfect will of God in manifestation. Do you know Jesus said, I don't come down to do my own will, I've come to do the will of him who sent me. No wonder he had such a successful ministry. He said, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what I see the Father do. Man, you know what? That could have saved me a lot. If only, could I, if only I could be that good, I could have saved myself a lot of trouble if I only could say the things that the Father is telling me to say. So Jesus did that. And he's the perfect lamb to take away the sin of the world. Amen? He's God's will in action. Now the disciples were with Jesus for uh, three years and towards the end where Jesus is going, the beheading towards the cross, Philip came to him, and we can find this account in John chapter 14, verses 8 to 9. Philip comes to Jesus And Philip says to him, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and that will be sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. If I can just paraphrase that, he said, Just show us or tell us what God's like. And Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's God's really like? He's just like Jesus. The Passion Translation, this expression here, for anyone who has looked at me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. 
Anybody that has looked, the trouble is people aren't looking at Jesus. They're looking to religion and all kinds of things. What are you looking at? You need to put your face in the book. Get your face out of Facebook and put your face in the book and find out what Jesus is really like. People speak out of ignorance. I'm amazed what some people say. You could hit me over the face with a dead mullet and I wouldn't look any more stunned than when people come out with some stuff. Oh, God is, God is mysterious. You never know what he's going to do. Give me a break. We already know what he's done. He's already wrought the victory. He, he, he beat the snot out of the devil, sent him on the run, was raised from the devil, uh, from the dead, sorry, and he gave the victory to us. God has been accused of some terrible things to the point where even insurance companies, when some terrible tragedy happens, they say it was an act of God. Where did they get that information from? I said, where did they get that information from? The church. Religion. Shame. I can't help it if you're getting excited. It's not my fault. Here's another good one. God is sovereign. Something bizarre is happening, people don't understand. Some mysterious thing, we don't know what's going on. God is sovereign. Well, God's sovereign in certain ways. Yes, he has a sovereign plan and God knows when he's going to come back. But um, I agree God's sovereign if you use it according to what the dictionary says sovereign is. Is that fair enough? Let's see what the dictionary says. It says highest in rank, supreme, above all in character, importance and excellence. <laughs> that sounds like God to me. That sounds like God to me. But I find that we, in the Christian circle, sometimes we have this Christianese and we use it, well, God's in, to, in control. If you mean that God is controlling everybody and, and, and what they're doing, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe God's controlling every person. Let, let's just do a little test, can we? I'm just talking to Christians and maybe those that are online that are believers. Does God control how fast we drive? Because when you get excited, oh, God made me do it. Well, what's God's, I'll send him the bill. Does God control whether we pay our tithes and give offerings? Well, no, come on, you think God's controlling everybody? And I did a little survey, I've learned from Pastor Tony at Google. And I googled what percentage of the true born-again saved Christian church tithe. And one survey said 2 to 3% and the best result I could get 
was 17% of Christians tithe. Get down off your seats, I know you're getting excited. So is God controlling if people give their tithes? Does God control what you say and how you respond when somebody gets in your face, when your missus or spouse tells you you're wrong? And you know you're never wrong. How do you respond? So give me a break. God is not controlling everybody. He has control of some sovereign things. Pastor Tony was sharing that he, he's controlling when he's going to come back for the second return, things like that. But he's not controlling individual people. If God can't control the Christians, the people in whom he dwells, what about everybody else? Getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. How about this? People say this. I'm amazed. Gobsmacked. Christians. God is making me sick or allowing me sick to teach me a lesson. Whether he's allowing it or doing it or whatever. Either way, you're sick. And God's doing that. I like this one. I oh, know, I'll, I'll tell you about that in a minute. <laughs> if God is making you sick and you really believe that, why are you going to the doctor to get rid of it? It's quiet, isn't it? God is perfecting me through the things I suffer. Got it all wrong, buddy. Jesus suffered for you so we wouldn't have to. How about he's teaching me through trials and tests, negative circumstances. No, that's not true. That is not true. Our God is the father of lights and he chases us with the word of God. He chases our spirits, amen? It says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by God, by the inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, for in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what scripture do? It corrects you. It trains you. And one of these words here is actually the word chastening. God chastens us through the scriptures, not through sickness and disease and train wrecks and poverty and divorces and going through bankruptcy. I'll smile. I'm nice. God cleans us through the word. In John 15 verse 3, Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. 
Why are they clean? He doesn't say you're clean because of the train wreck. You're clean through the word. That's right. Now, just really quickly, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to know what God's really like, yes, it's Jesus, you need to read through the Gospels. Read and read and read. If you've got a red-letter Bible, read what Jesus said. See what Jesus did. And half the things that he's accused of don't even come up. They're not there. You can't show them to me in Scripture. What Jesus didn't do, didn't, did not, what Jesus did not do, he didn't make anybody sick. He didn't cause a train wreck. He didn't cause anybody to be divorced. Didn't cause anybody to go bankrupt. He didn't put your kids on drugs. Oh, Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't put anybody on drugs. He didn't give you a love pat and give you cancer so you could get close to him and he could get all the glory. Oh, this is a good classic. God broke my leg. And when I went to the hospital, two nurses got saved. Well, you could have gone to the hospital with two good legs and witnessed to them and they would have got saved. God didn't break your leg. You just happened to be there and told them about Jesus. Give us a break. Jesus helped all that came, who came to him and he didn't say to anybody, it's not my will to heal you, it's not my will to help you. Nobody, it's not in the scriptures, nowhere. It's God's will for you to be sick, it's just not there. And you know what, it's amazing, I, I, Lindy and I, we went to a church in the country and there was about 25 people there and five people got healed, we did a healing meeting, five people got healed in the seats, which is probably the highest percentage of a group of people there. And uh, some people got healed instantly out the front. It was awesome. It was fantastic. I just love that. It's fantastic. And after the meeting, I was talking to this guy. And uh, he'd seen the power God demonstrated. I talked about things that happened in my own life and so forth. And he started, he needed healing, this guy, but he didn't come out the front sitting in his seat. And he said, what about Job? I said, what about him? What about Paul's thorn? And the very thing that he was believing was holding him into bondage. And I said, well, what you believe, you've seen what I believe, you've seen what God can do, well, I've told you what he's done in my life. What you believe, how's that working for you? Now, I told you these things, this core belief that I have in the, this saved my life because when I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia in June 2019, I didn't do, say, God, are you trying to teach me a lesson? I know that God's good and he's a healer. I know that he's a deliverer and he'll help anybody that comes to him. Reminded me of a story a guy was telling, I think he was talking about a friend who used to babysit their child in their, their house and it was in Texas. And they used to put the, the child, a small baby and that on the couch in the afternoon for a sleep. 
One day they went to move the couch and they heard this rattling noise, looked underneath and they found that a rattlesnake had been living under the couch or in the couch under that where the baby was. And you know what, when they found that, you know what's the first thing they didn't, didn't do? The first thing they didn't do was say, oh Lord, we're just wondering, did you put this rattlesnake in the house to teach us a lesson? Well, when we speak against the word, I believe that grieves God because we're not living in the fullness that God has for us. It grieves God, not because he's upset or cranky, he just wants more for us. You know, we've got a child going to school and you know they can do better in school. You're grieved if they're not fully performing, right, and doing stuff. So when we're not getting all the blessings and the living in the abundance that Jesus paid for us to have, it grieves God. It says in John 10, verse 10, this is a spinning wheel for the Bible, God's true intention. It shows two camps here, two sets of ideas, two ideologies here. Jesus said it's the thief that does not come except to kill, to steal and to destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it what? More! More! Abundantly. How about Acts 10, verse 38? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good. Went about doing good. He went about and doing good. And healing. All. All who are oppressed of the devil. What's Jesus, what's God really like? Really, really like? Look at Jesus. And if you're watching online today and you don't know, have a relationship with Jesus, you can have one today because I want to lead you in a prayer. And when you come to God, when you accept Jesus, this is what happened in Luke 24, verse 35, talking about Jesus. He said he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So if you're here today and you haven't had a relationship with Jesus, you can today. I want to lead you in a prayer and those that are watching online. And I want the congregation to join in with me. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to know you in a more personal way. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. I believe that Jesus suffered the punishment for my sin and was raised from the dead so that I could have newness of life eternal life thank you for saving me and showing me what you're really like in Jesus name Amen Hallelujah If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week please visit our website at brainer.org.au 